<clears throat> I just have to say I'm, I'm grateful for Caleb. Um, he always makes my job easier. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm freed up because of so much truth that we proclaim in song and truth that we pray and truth that we read about in the Word, and it's, it's just encouraging. It's edifying. It, it builds up, and it just... Like, I feel like I don't even need to say as much. And so, not that I won't, but that I don't need to. <laughs> um, so, just thanks, Caleb, and thanks for everybody who serves here on uh, Sunday mornings. Um, kids ages four to six are welcome to join the Wilsons over here. If you're here, you're a kid, you're a little bit older than that, you're going to be hanging out with us. I just want to remind you that we have uh, sermon note sheets over there, colored pencils. I want you to take notes and think and ask questions and talk to your parents about that. Uh, This is time is for you as well, even though it might be hard to hang with me sometimes. All right, the challenge for the day, kids, though, I'm going to tell you, we're we're talking about three lines of communication in war. Three lines of communication in war. I want you to be able to tell us what those are at the end of the, the sermon. All right, it should be pretty easy, okay? You guys can go ahead and go. Sorry to keep you all. Thank you so much. Um... So we want to pray for our kids and pray for our time together, and so let's, let's do that now. Heavenly Father, I just thank you uh, for the cross of Christ. God, as we, uh, as we talk about our responsibility, as we talk about um, our needs, and how you equip, you communicate, You give life. You call us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as ambassadors. Pray that we would not forget that Christ is Lord, that He is our Savior, that He has done what we cannot, that He is the one who strengthens us to take up the full armor of God that we might stand against all the schemes of the devil. Lord, I pray that that would not be lost on us as we talk about this communication that you've given us in this warfare. God, I pray that who we are in Christ would change everything about us. What we talk about, what we put in our heads and in our hearts, what we, what we pray about, and what we proclaim. Lord, we pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit for the renown of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 20. I only have one more after this. Sad to see it go. You can find it on page 979 in the Bibles provided there in the chairs. Now in warfare, communications are essential for victory. 
I mean, without communications, troops cannot receive orders from their commanding officers. They don't know what to do, how they're to respond. Perhaps they run ahead when they should have stood their ground, or maybe they stood their ground when they should have advanced. But either way, in their confusion, in their hesitation, in their delay, or in their just kind of running ahead apart from the orders of their commander, oftentimes battles are lost. Without communications... Troops can get cut off behind enemy lines. They're not able to call for support, for reinforcements. There's no ability to redirect and reroute supply lines to be able to aid them or to provide air cover because we aren't able to communicate. Commanders might see troops rushing headlong into danger but can do nothing about it because they cannot get their attention. They cannot divert the direction that they're going. Without communication, we have no way of, of being able to adjust and to make on-the-fly decisions because the, the enemy makes a surprise attack or an unexpected move and we can really do nothing about it. There, wars are won and lost because of communications. Think of all the advancements that we've seen in military communications. I mean, try to imagine back, right, time of Christ, what battles look like there. I mean, there you are, you're a captain and you've been given this charge. Okay, here you are. You stand at this. This is your post. You defend this post along this line. That is your responsibility. Take care of this post. And so you do that for months and months and months and months. That's your job. That's what you're doing. Without word from your commanding officer, without any instruction, without any sort of follow-up in any way, then suddenly out of the blue one day, some bloodied little boy comes running up to you. And he has been running for three days from the nearest fort to the north. And he comes with a message that he has barely been able to escape with to deliver that that fort is all but fallen. And then a day later, you get a message from the opposite direction, much the same. That fort too, three days march to the south, has fallen. And in all likelihood, you're now surrounded by your enemy. And they are advancing on you. You're not sure. But there's no time for you to go and help them. And there's no time for you to go and get someone to come and help you. You are on your own. Or imagine being in the middle of battles and, and like you, you received orders through smoke or fire signals or somebody waving a particular color of flag. Or maybe you listen to bugles or the cadence of drums and that's your marching orders. That's what you're called to do. Imagine the chaos with that. Imagine how different warfare would be like all, without all of the advancements that are made. I mean, think about how the, the telegraph or radio or encryption or global positioning satellites have revolutionized warfare. I mean, now our military has the ability to watch battles unfold in real time on the other side of the world. They can see things happen. They can see things unfold. They can make on-the-fly adjustments to minimize casualties and to maximize victory. It's amazing. Now, it would be crazy for us not to utilize these means of communication for war. When you think about it, it would be insane for us to say, you know what, let's forget about all of the satellites. Let's just go back to the messenger boys and flags. 
We really don't need all of these lines of communication. We've got this. That would be absolutely foolish, would it not? I mean, we get that. In a real war, that would be foolish. But yet, so often, that's exactly what we as Christians do in the battle that we all fight. We ignore the communications that are given to us. and We try to stand it alone. You know, over the last two weeks, we've been unpacking Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, this passage on the armor of God. And two weeks ago, we saw that all Christians, we the church, we are at war. Our lives are at war. We are in the middle of a spiritual battle with the devil and all of his fallen angels. And because we are at war, we must stand wholly opposed, fully prepared in the armor of God, in the strength of the Lord, to be able to fight back all of the schemes and all of the strategies of our enemies. To do this, we must equip ourselves with what the Lord has given us. We must put on the full armor of God, putting on truth, putting on righteousness, putting on readiness that comes from the reality that we have been reconciled to God, taking up faith and salvation and the word of God so that we might be able to stand. And now there's one more thing that remains for us in order for us to be able to complete our objective, and that is communications. We are going to win this battle. We need to receive word from our commander. We need constant communication with our commander so that we can fully employ the weaponry that we've been given to complete our orders. Communications are essential for victory in this war. And what we're going to see this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 through 20, is that our mission is fulfilled through the word, prayer, and proclamation. These are our lines of communication. Our mission is fulfilled through the word, prayer, and proclamation. Now for context, I want us to read the entirety of this passage. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, of which I am an ambassador in chains, to declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, there are three 
means of wartime communication in this text that are vital for us to take up if we are to fulfill our mission. The word, prayer, and proclamation. And so let's look first at the word. In verse 17, we are told to receive the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Our livelihoods are dependent, our spiritual livelihoods, our life in Christ is dependent upon the word of God. Now, just like in the military, without orders and without supplies from our commanding officers, the army could not function as an army and our battle would be lost. I mean, think about all that the word of God does, what all the word of God accomplishes for us. Without God's word being revealed to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, we would not even know that we are at war. And in fact, we would not be, at least not on God's side. Apart from God opening the eyes of our hearts through his word, we're told in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that we are under enemy occupation. That we have been enslaved by the world, the devil, and our own sinful flesh. That we were dead in our sins. That we were living as enemies of God. That we were fighting against him. And so we deserve God's just and holy condemnation for our rebellion, our rejection of him. It's only as the Holy Spirit worked through God's word that we came to know God. That God enlightened the eyes of our hearts. Or as chapter 1 said, When we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in Jesus, we were sealed then with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our eternal inheritance in God until we acquire possession of it to the praise of God's glory. God in his grace revealed to us that we were sinners living as enemies of God. He showed us how much he needed him, and it is through his word that he saved us through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sin. It's through God's word that our enlistment changed. We went from living as enemies of God to now citizens of God's kingdom, of members of God's own household, of being beloved sons and daughters of God. We saw that throughout chapters 2 and 3, that it is God's word that has united us together as a church We are now one. We've been made one as God's army. And as we function as the church together, growing in maturity in Christ, which comes through the word of God, that we actually together reveal the manifold wisdom and grace and glory of God across the field to our enemies. It's through God's word that we now understand who our true enemies are. That our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our enemies are sin, death, and the devil. We don't wage war against people. We wage war against principalities and powers. And this is so essential for us because our enemies are evil, powerful, and cunning. Our enemies are deceitful. They do not fight us head on. It's not like we're informed, we get a message saying, we're coming to war against you, and they're marching up in front of us. No, they don't fight us head on. They are like terrorists. They cower in the shadows using the IEDs and suicide bombs of lies and temptations and perversions of God's good gifts to enslave us and to destroy us. God's word helps us to know who our enemies are. 
so that we might stand against all the schemes and strategies of the devil. It's God's word that trains us as soldiers and helps us to know and to utilize these weapons that the Lord has given us in this warfare. Without it, we would not be ready for battle. But with the teaching, the reproof, the correction, and training in righteousness that we receive through God's inspired word, the man of God may be competent, fully equipped for good works. It's through God's word that we receive our marching orders that calls us to stand and to fight. Through it, God reveals his ultimate and eternal plan to us and how we are to achieve our mission in this greater cosmic battle that is taking place. Friends, without God saving us and uniting us and training us and organizing us through the means of his word to achieve his objectives, we are a leaderless bunch of troops. Some out there taking extended R&R. Some are completely untrained and unqualified. Some aren't equipped with the armor at all, and some are wearing it incorrectly. Some are out there fraternizing with the enemy. All are basically acting, living as traitors to our government. All of us are seeking to fulfill our own mission rather than uniting around his It's only through the word of God that we know our commander, that we understand his strategic plan for all of history, that we are trained up to carry out his orders for this battle that we are a part of. It's only through God's word that we know him and who we are in light of him. And through his word, we can now know and fulfill the mission that he has given us. But we must take up the word of God. But troops not only are led and trained and organized by their commander, They're also supplied by him. They receive food, provisions, and armor from their chief officer as the Holy Spirit works through the word that he is inspired and empowered and given. And through his work, we receive our supply. It is the Holy Spirit working through the word that enables us even to see that this is the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit working through the word that seals us in Christ and gives us new life in him. It's the Holy Spirit that strengthens us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. It's the Holy Spirit that unites us and builds us together into a dwelling place for God. It's the Holy Spirit working through the word that fills us so that we might no longer walk in the futility of this world, in the vain and empty pursuits of life apart from Christ, living as our enemies do, but to walk in wisdom, wielding the sword of the spirit that we've been given so that we might kill sin, that we might put that former manner of life to death. All of those corrupt and deceitful desires and to put on Christ. The Holy Spirit working through the word that sanctifies us, that cleanses us, and presents us to Christ in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that we might be holy without blemish. It's the Holy Spirit working through the word that nourishes us, that strengthens us and sustains us against the onslaught of our enemies. Friends, I got all of that from Ephesians. Let's not forget Jesus' own example to us. The Son of God being led by the Spirit of God out into the wilderness faced the onslaught of our enemy. 
you face the temptation of Satan in all in full force. And what did he do to stand against it? He proclaimed the word of God. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The spirit-empowered word is our supply for life, for health, and for nourishment, for unity, for growth, and for purity in Christ. It is only through the spirit-empowered word, the spirit-inspired word, that we have the provisions that we need to stand against our enemies. We need the leadership and provision of our commander. Without the spirit-empowered word of God, we are like rogue soldiers lost behind enemy lines without any provisions, no weaponry, no water, no food, no shelter, no direction, no support, just out there in enemy territory all by ourselves. Now, in an earthly war, how long would we last in that type of situation? Not long. So why do we think that this spiritual war is any different? Friends, we need the leadership and the provision of the word of God. We need it to nourish and feed and supply our souls. We need to stand on it, to receive our instruction from it, so that we might fulfill God's mission. Because every part of our life in Christ is given through the Spirit-inspired Word. And so why would we abandon, then, God's leadership and provision that He has given us and try to live as some sort of spiritual Rambo apart from God's Word? I'm sorry, guys, but you need more than a big knife, a bow and arrow, and a cool red headband to be able to take on this whole army that is equipped with heavy armored helicopters. It's not going to work. It's suicide. And so don't fall prey to that notion that you can be fine apart from God's word. If we're going to have victory in this spiritual war, we need the leadership and provision of our commander that he gives us through his word. And so that's sort of the top-down communication, that we get leadership, we have provision through the Word of God. That's the first line of necessary wartime communication. And the second is prayer. Now, I love John Piper's analogy for prayer. Love it. You know, we often treat prayer like that little bell that aristocrats ring to get the attention of their butlers, right? Out there ringing it, we ring our little bell and, for God and we ask him to come and fluff our pillows or to fetch our paper for us. That whenever we want God to make our lives a little bit more convenient, a little bit more comfortable, we ring our little bell and we expect our butler to answer immediately and give us our every request. But prayer is not a butler's bell. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. It is God's provision to us so that we might be in constant contact with our commander's headquarters to receive our orders, to understand his plan and strategy for this war. It's the means through which he tells us that our provisions are on the way. It is what connects us to the field hospital that heals our wounded. It enables us to call in reinforcements for air cover, for the strength to fully employ the weaponry we've been given. It is through prayer that we can now wield the sword of the Spirit. 
as Piper says, prayer is the communication with headquarters by which the weapons of warfare are deployed according to the will of God. Prayer is not for comforts in peacetime. Prayer is for war. He said at a missions conference once, until you realize that we are at war, you will not know what prayer is for. Friends, just look at our text. Verses 10 through 12, we are told that life is war. That we are in the midst of a spiritual cosmic battle. In verses 13 through 17, we are given our mission to stand wholly opposed and fully prepared against all the schemes and strategies of our enemy and the weaponry that we've been given to put on for this battle, the full armor of God. And then in verse 18, he says, praying. That is not a new sentence. This is not another weapon. This is not a loosely connected new idea. Paul's not moving on to something else. No, it's immediately connected. It flows straight out of what he has just said. Prayer is the means through which we have the strength to fulfill our mission, to stand against our enemy, and to take up that armor that we may accomplish all the will of our commander. It is the power. It is what allows us to wield the weapons. That's what prayer is for. Without it, you cannot put on the armor of God. Without it, you cannot wield the sword of the Spirit. Without it, you cannot stand against the schemes of the devil. But we don't use it that way, do we? Because we don't realize that we are at war. We don't realize that we've been called up to actively participate in our commander's objectives and not our own. We don't realize just how prayer is the vital means for us to complete our mission, and not just for ourselves, but for all the saints, for God's people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation throughout the world. He says, pray at all times. When you are at war, you want constant communication with your commander. You want to know exactly what to do and where to go. And you want to know he knows exactly where you are and has you right where you need to be. It's essential. We need that constant communication. So we are to pray at all times. Anybody do that? I don't. I don't pray at all times. Why? Because I don't have a wartime mentality. When nations go to war... Sacrifices are made. Loved ones get deployed. Jobs are put on pause so that we can spend our energy on war efforts. Everyone cuts back and tightens their belt so that more resources can go to the front line. Luxury liners are converted into troop transports. People stop talking about pop culture and they talk about the war. They want to know what's going on in the war because they have loved ones over there. Brothers and sisters are in the middle of this war and I need to know what's going on there. And so there's a seriousness and a vigilance when it comes to prayer all because we are at war. But we don't have a wartime mentality. We live in peace and prosperity. At least we think we do. 
when that's the case, we, we don't feel the need to pray. Or when we do, prayer malfunctions because we're trying to use this wartime walkie-talkie that is meant to keep us in constant contact with our commander as a bell to ring our butler. Or as a fire extinguisher to be used only in those rare times of emergency. But we don't take up prayer regularly or continually in all circumstances, whether good or bad, whether calm or violent. We don't pray at all times because we don't see our need for prayer. We think we are at peace. We cry peace, peace when there is no peace. Spiritual bombs are dropping all around us. Millions of souls are being enslaved by our enemies And not just overseas, not just abroad, not just across the globe, but across our backyards, even in our homes. We do nothing. They're at risk of being doomed to spend eternity in hell. We're ringing that bell. Can I have a better job? Can my life be more convenient? Do I really need to deal with all of this hassle? Prayer is not designed to make our lives more palatable. It is a means for us to communicate with our commander with a sense of need, with a sense of urgency. When we don't treat it that way, We use that wartime walkie-talkie as some sort of intercom to be set up in our mansions or to be stuck in that junk drawer somewhere only to be used when we need it most. We are to be praying at all times in the Spirit. Now this doesn't mean that we praying in some angelic tongues or to be slain in the Spirit, Okay? Ephesians clears this up for us because it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that, God's, that, that we are connected, that we have access with our Heavenly Father. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that God strengthens us so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. It is the Holy Spirit who unites us together in the bond of peace. It is the Spirit who controls us. We are filled with the Spirit so that we might lead worshipful lives, that we might give glory to God in every aspect of our lives as His beloved children imitating Him in all things. It is the Spirit who empowers our weapon, the Word. And as we pray in the Spirit, He strengthens us to take it up. And to wield the sword so that the gospel goes forth in power, in the strength of his might, not in ours. We're to do so with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is our active devotion to and dependence upon God, which is expressed in us communicating with him, in us talking with him. It is our desire to commune with our Father. So we call upon him, we ask him, we seek his will, we praise him, we give him thanks, we confess our sin to him because we depend upon him. We need him for life. We need him for everything. We love him because of all that he has done for us in Christ. And so we pray to him. Not to try to manipulate him to do what we want, but because we know that he has this plan that we are called to live by and that we need him, 
We need his strength. We need to be strengthened in the Lord in order to carry it out, to see ourselves being conformed to his will, not his to ours. Supplication is to make an earnest, humble request to God on behalf of yourself or others. In humility, we make petition to the only God who can answer, the only God who can supply, the only God who can deliver. Friends, this is a humble and desperate request. This is not naming or claiming it or demanding that God give you what you want when you want it. It is seeking the face of God in lowliness because he alone is sovereign and wise and good and able to do all his holy will. We don't change God's mind. All prayer and supplication, we use that to seek the will of God and to find ourselves being conformed to his. And so he says to that end, what end? Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That end. To that end, keep alert. Prayer is how we as soldiers along the wall keep watch. This was huge for me, guys, and just kind of thinking about this, right? Paul is not telling us, okay, Ben, you go stand up along the wall and you keep an active watch. And if you see anything happening, if you see the schemes of the devil just kind of advancing, you let God know because he doesn't know. He needs you to stand on that wall and you tell him. That's not what prayer is about. That's not what keeping alert is about. Prayer is the means through which we keep alert. God knows all things. He knows our enemies' every advances. We don't tell God something that he doesn't know. It is through prayer that God informs us of the advances. He tells us about things that we cannot see. He prepares us to stand against the schemes of the devil. We need prayer the way we need those global positioning satellites so that when our troops are on the ground and they have this objective and they're going this way and we see enemy advancing from the side to flank them, we can tell them so that they can take appropriate measures to stand against it. That's what we're doing when we keep alert in prayer. It's to be watchful, it's to be wakeful, it's to be vigilant. It's to use those sleepless nights to call upon the Lord in the midst of these evil days. Through prayer and supplication that we might walk wisely. So that the commander might inform us immediately of our enemy's advances. And that's why it requires all perseverance. Friends, praying takes effort. If you're expecting this to just kind of come easy, right? For one day, you just kind of wake up and you feel like praying all the time in the spirit. Hey, this is great. You've got another thing coming. It takes effort. It takes labor. It requires zeal and commitment so as not to be overcome by fatigue and discouragement or fall into deep spiritual sleep or complacency. And in all that, Paul tells us who we are to pray for. Making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Friends, if when we pray, we only pray for ourselves, there's something wrong there. Right? Our prayers are not even limited to our loved ones, our friends, our family, or even those in our church. 
We are to take up this wartime walkie-talkie on behalf of all the saints, that is, all followers of Christ around the world, praying for Christians and churches that are facing persecution, those who have almost no access to the word, that they too may be able to put on the whole armor of God and to stand against the schemes of the devil. Friends, unlike here in most other countries, spiritual warfare is obvious. There's no question in India that we wrestle against cosmic powers over this present darkness. There's no question in Saudi Arabia that Satan influences rulers and authorities. There's no question among the animus tribes of Congo that Christians fight against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly places. We have been called to pray for them. That's what we've been charged to do, to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, that they might not fall, that they too might stand. This is part of our mission, to regularly and continually intercede on behalf of them, that they would be bold ambassadors for the gospel of Jesus Christ, being careful not to fall into enemies' hands. Friends, American Christianity has fallen asleep at its post. We have fallen asleep at our posts because we're fat and we're lazy and we're selfish and we indulge on all that the world has to offer. We've fallen into the schemes of Satan and are giving ourselves over time and time again when we ought to be praying at all times in the spirit, all supplication. All the saints. I say that because I have to say that. I say it because it's true. I don't say it to discourage you. I say it because I want us to wake up. I say it because I want us to keep alert. I say it because I want to see us making all supplication at all times in the spirit with all perseverance for all the saints. This is part of our mission. This is part of what we've been called to do. This is not an unimportant thing. This is an essential thing because God himself has called us to do this. Now, I realize you might be like, okay, how do I even get started on that? Okay. I'm not going to tell you how to do it because part of the whole tension with application is this. You need to pray to the Lord to ask the Lord how you are to respond to this. Okay, so I don't want to do the work for you, but I'll give you a head start. Okay, check out the Joshua Project, joshuaproject.net, or check out the Voice of Martyrs. Go to the resources that you can find at radical.net. Pick up the book Operation World and begin to pray through that. All of these are resources that remind us of God's work among the nations and how we can be praying for them specifically. Okay, all great resources to take up. But let's keep alert for our brothers and sisters throughout the world. This is how we might serve as reinforcements for them in this battle. This is how we might strengthen their supply lines. This is how we might act as that long-range artillery in their fight by keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. 
but we also have to pray for our church leaders. Paul says in verse 19, pray also for me. Friends, I never understood how important it was to pray for church leaders against spiritual attack until I came to this church. I mean, and I've served as a staff member at a church. I've served as an associate pastor in a church. I was a seminarian, right, alongside a bunch of other would-be pastors. But I had no idea the weight of this until I came to be the lead planter at Redeemer. And it was like a target was put on my back that there was like, infrared uh, targeting devices just so to, to pinpoint the exact location for all the fiery darts of the evil one to come and land on me. And uh, I haven't even experienced anything like what Paul endured. Friends, pray for your church leaders. We need it. Take up that wartime walkie-talkie on behalf of us to help keep watch on our souls. Because there is a war being waged against us and we need your reinforcements. Now our mission doesn't end with us receiving the word of God in prayer. There's one more line of wartime communication that is vital for us to take up. If we We are to take up the word and prayer continually so that third, we might proclaim the gospel boldly. In verses 19 and 20, Paul asks that the Ephesian church pray for me also, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel of which I am an ambassador in change to declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Our mission as followers of Christ is not to just hear the word of God and to believe the gospel and then to pray for others as part of it, but our mission ultimately is to participate in God's ultimate strategy to deliver those people who were once under enemy occupation from the domain of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of God's beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That happens as the word of God goes forth. The spirit, uh, the sword of the spirit, fueled by prayer, overcomes darkness. But we cannot stop with simply receiving the word of God in prayer. We must wield them to proclaim the gospel boldly. Prayer is meant to be the servant and the power of the ministry of the word as God's people take it to those who still live in darkness. This is Paul's primary concern. This is his one prayer request that he gives. Paul didn't say, pray that God would deliver me from these chains. Pray that God would make my life comfortable. After all, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And I'm here just because I preach Christ. I didn't do anything wrong. He didn't say, pray that uh, the guards would be nice to me. Pray that my life would be comfortable or that I wouldn't get sick. Ask for prayer for my great aunt's bad hip. It's not what he prays for. His primary concern is boldness in proclaiming the gospel despite his current situation. Let this inform the way we pray. We would learn a lot. We would gain a lot. 
Our prayer life would be revitalized if we would pray the way that Paul prays. I mean, just in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, Paul offers prayers of praise to God for all of the spiritual blessings that we have already received in Christ Jesus. He praises God that we have been elected and adopted and redeemed and forgiven, that, we have, that God has made his will known to us, that we have this eternal inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus, that we have received the promised Holy Spirit. He prays to thank God for that for the Ephesians. His second prayer, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, he prays that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would understand the hope that we've been given in our calling, that we would understand the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. Again, he's praying that all of that stuff that we've already been given would take fruit in our lives, that we would come to understand and believe and live in light of it. And then he prays again in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And there he prays that God would grant us faith in Christ and that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is how Paul prays for us. This is how we ought to pray. And what request does he give in light of all of that? boldness in the proclamation of the gospel. He prays that all of these gospel truths would bear fruit. And in light of that, as we become truer worshipers of God for all that he has given us, the outflow of our new identity in Christ, the outflow of our worship, the outflow of our prayer would be gospel proclamation. Bold gospel proclamation, that we would all take our place and participate in God's mission for us to make disciples of all nations. Paul asked them to pray that words would be given to him in opening his mouth boldly. Now, what he's not asking for there is a special revelation from the Lord. The Lord has to kind of give him the message, give him the words, and once he has that, he's free to speak. That's not what he's praying for there. He's praying for wisdom. He's praying for opportunity. He's praying for courage despite his chains. He's praying that truth would come to mind as he speaks and that he would have an open door despite his imprisonment to share the gospel clearly and without fear. He's asking for wisdom and opportunity and courage to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, God's eternal plan for the fullness of time that was hidden for long ages in God who created all things, but is now revealed to us through the holy apostles and prophets through the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles, non-Jews, people from every tongue, tribe, language, nation, every pay scale, every age group, every demographic that you can think of are now fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so as an ambassador in chains for Christ, he's speaking as as a representative on behalf of his commander and not for himself, he prays that he might declare the gospel boldly, which is how he ought to speak. Now, lest you think to yourself that this prayer request is just for Paul and not for you, 
I want you to keep your finger here and I want you to flip to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. This is Paul again speaking this time to the church in Corinth. He's telling us about the ministry of reconciliation that we now have, that we are a part of. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21 reads, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one, that is Christ, has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live, that is us, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised, that we might live for Christ. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, get this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, get this, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, all of us who have been reconciled to God through the righteousness of Christ are now ambassadors for Christ. Every one of us. It's not dependent upon your age. It's not dependent upon your degrees whether or not you've been elected to be a pastor, whether you have an MDiv, it doesn't matter. All of us have been called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are now his representatives, his spokesmen, no longer speaking and living for ourselves, but for him. We've all been given this ministry of aiding in the worldwide reconciliation of former rebels to God. And we do this by no longer living for ourselves, but for him who for our sakes died and was raised. We do this by taking our stand against the schemes of the devil and by proclaiming the gospel boldly, both near and far. And as the gospel, as the word of God goes forth in power of the Holy Spirit, fueled by prayer, God saves, God redeems those who were once slaves to our enemies, those who were once in darkness, those who were once standing against him, and he brings them into the light. He brings them into our camp so that we might continue to minister to them, so that we might stand alongside them and defend them and build them up, protecting them from the schemes of the devil, helping them to reach maturity in Christ through the word of God and through prayer. We've been called to proclaim the gospel boldly, which is how we ought to speak. And friends, that happens even if you're afraid. The reason why he calls us to pray for this is because he knows that we're afraid. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're timid. When he says stand, you know, this is our mission. This is our objective. Stand, stand, stand. He said it four times already. Stand. That doesn't mean that we hide. 
that we rally around in some sort of holy huddle, we just kind of wait it out, that we do nothing, right? Stand means to take up the armor of God, which means that we wield the word of God through prayer and proclaim the gospel boldly. Not that we advance, but the gospel advances. And as the gospel, empowered by the Spirit, goes forward, we see people redeemed. We see people transformed. We see people enlisted into God's army. They now come, and they're now part of our camp. They've they've switched sides. And so we are to bring them into our platoon and defend them and protect them. That's what it means to stand. It doesn't mean that the gospel's not going forward. Stand still means that the gospel goes out boldly through the mouths of his ambassadors who stand along that wall. So friends, we're all called to do that. And to do that, we need these three lines of communication. We're going to faithfully play our part in this war. We must take up the word of God and wield its power through prayer so that we might boldly proclaim the gospel to those who are still in darkness. Now, that being said, I'm sure we all recognize many, many deficiencies, but I just have to say, I'm so grateful for the ways that we're growing in this. It would be negligent for me to not be so grateful for the ways that I'm seeing you guys take initiative in this. You know, we have all of these opportunities to learn how to wield the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We're, we're learning about the Word of God constantly so that we might take it up, that we might handle it faithfully as we should. But we're seeing people who are starting prayer groups for this end. We've got a group that meets on Thursday mornings, and we've got a group that meets Friday at noon to pray for this specific thing. We see people that are very intentional with their relationships. They are carrying out that Redeemer challenge that I talk about week after week. They're discipling those who either don't know Christ or maybe mature, mature Christians discipling those who are still younger in their faith. But they're doing it more and more and more. I'm seeing growth in boldness. I'm seeing growth in intentionality. I'm seeing growth in purpose. And I'm very, very, very encouraged by it. But friends, we are not done. We haven't arrived. We're still in the midst of this war. This battle is still raging. We still have a mission. We still have an objective. We still need to put on the whole armor of God to stand against the schemes of the devil. But through it all, we can be confident knowing that our mission is fulfilled through the word, prayer, and proclamation. Not in our own strength, but in the strength that the Lord supplies. Our mission is fulfilled through the word, prayer, and proclamation. Now, I wasn't really planning on doing this, but I think it would be appropriate for us to take some time to just prayerfully respond to the word of God. I ask you to have this text in front of you, to be praying through it. Praying specifically about how we might take up the word of God. Praying about, praying for all the saints. Take time to pray for all the saints, just like the text calls us to. Praying that we would boldly proclaim the gospel. And so, I love you guys. I'm praying for you. Pray for me. But let's spend some time praying now.
And Father, I, I pray for us that this would wake us up, that we would keep alert, but that we would not be discouraged. Because if Ephesians has said anything to us through the entirety of this letter, is that you are God of all grace, who accomplishes all of your purposes. That you never call us to do anything to do that you have not equipped us to do. Let's not forget verse 11. That Paul reminds us, tells us, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Lord, we know that for us to achieve the objectives that you've been given us, we need that. So we ask for that. We yearn for that. And we thank you for giving strength, for giving grace, for giving life, for giving us all that we need. Lord, help us to take hold of it. Help us to put it on. Help us to be who we now are in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.